there. There we are. There we are. Oh, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm Terry. Hi. Hi. Great. So, what did you want to? Um, I wanted to see if we could do um, a capture with um, with QuickTime at the same time. Have you experienced that, or does that mm. interfere? I don't know. I'm recording uh, from Skype to um, Audio Hijack, which is uh -huh. just uh, another program. But I would gather. Do you all want to record yourselves? Um, I thought it would be kind of nice to have um, to have it recorded. Um, and I went online. It said you could do that. So okay. let's see. Okay. see click to record the full screen Karen yeah um, so it's from what Jan told me it sounds like we can if we need to like take a break or something we can just do that yes yeah oh I'll, I'll edit all that out okay yeah. great yeah even if you feel like you misspoke or you wanted to say it somewhere differently if you want to just like kind of go back and restart the sentence that would be great or if you just want to take a break and hang out for a minute then we can do that too okay yeah Thank good you. yeah that's okay. really easy yeah it's an easy fix for me yeah. wonderful yeah that's wonderful and I know that it's I, I I listen to some of the podcasts ahead of time to kind of get a sense of of the trajectory and that and I it's so I know they're not video which yes. is yeah. kind of useful in its own way yeah I think it's comforting for me I know yeah. super interesting um you know sort of listening to the different um, styles and approaches yeah I mean we have some that are just like full-on artists talking about like their work in the studio and the summer more pedagogical and it's kind of interesting it's it's cool mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. um and it's interesting too they're starting to give us dialogue about um or like stats on who's listening to which ones more often so like which That's ones are getting really interesting yeah, so I think we're trying to do that again this this time too to see like how many hits certain ones are getting. So right, yeah, yeah because because Jan obviously Jan's an artist and I am a a writer, a curator, and an art historian. Yeah, and I think and the more that we can diversify it, to be honest, is yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's good to look across the spectrum since it's College Art Association. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. yeah good, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What other okay. questions or thoughts do y'all have? Um, anything for you? No, I think we're good to go. Okay, I, I like the idea that if there's a problem, <laughs> you you can edit something out. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, for sure. Do we need to keep track of time? Because I can. I've got a you know a way to do that. You but. can, or I will too. Um, and then I can even um, just say like, oh, five minutes left or ten minutes left or something. Okay. Like that. So we're looking at about forty minutes. Yeah. And if you want to go shorter than that, that's fine too. But yeah, we'll see if we can get a, get it to a natural end either before that or about 40 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. And I yeah. just loosely watch the clock. I'm not like really militant about it. Just like, because I know there'll be some pauses or some edits that need to happen too, so that we can kind of pull out and it will shorten it just a little bit too. So, okay. Yeah. Right. And so I'll introduce the two of you and uh, with your bios and I'll read them just to make sure I'm getting them right and making sure that I'm um, saying everything correctly. 
Um, and then I'll, you know, talk about your topic and then I'll hand it over to you. I'll say, welcome. And then, um, you all will have the conversation. And then, um, in the end we can just kind of finalize it by saying like, okay, thank you so much. And then we'll be out and then we can chat some more or whatever, if you want to, too. But okay. Sounds yeah. good. Um, and I'll put my Skype on mute just in case like a random car goes by or something here. Uh -huh. Um, but I, I can chime in at any point too, if you need me, but for the most part, y'all can just have a good conversation and, and okay. roll. Sounds good to me. Does it sound good? Okay. Um, yes. So, Terry, your last name is Colin? Mm -hmm. Right? Okay, good. Um, and so I have what you gave me. I took the, the smaller one. That Terry Cohen is a writer, curator, art historian, and a fine arts consultant. She has contributed to numerous publications, including Art Practical, Performa, Public Art Review, and Art in America. Her curatorial work has included exhibitions from museums and galleries in the Bay Area. And then I cut it there. Is that okay? Could you say and beyond? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. It's just that Jans is so sm like short, and I didn't want to have them uh, unbalanced. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Get the phone ringing. And the topic is making art through troubled times. Yes. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's so relevant. <laughs> it is. And yeah. as I was saying to Jan, it's like we always are living in troubled times, but these are particular troubled times. Yeah. And yeah. I hope that we'll get through them. I hope that's optimistic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so I'm in Iowa, and the Iowa State Fair has been happening, and there's been a lot of politicians oh. through. And, wow. Um, it's oh, been my really goodness. interesting. So I've been yeah. up to twice to hear a bunch of folks speak. and. Uh, mm -hmm. Any inspirations? Yeah, I mean, I hope. You know, I think the folks that were there who were listening were like, really want to change, which is really encouraging. So, Good. yeah, I mean, there were big crowds and I was really happy. But, you know, you also see other signs hanging out at the fair, too. So, of course. Yeah. Of yeah. course. And it's that's politics. It is. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm hopeful. But, um, and Jan, your last name is Worm. It is. Okay, that's how I've been saying it in my head when I talk to you in my mind when I'm writing you. Um, and I just have yours as what you gave me as, um, as an artist, educator, and curator engaged in expanding the community forum for contemporary art dialogue. That works, too? I think it works. Okay, I think so, too. Well, y'all gave me perfect material, so it's really great. So Good. Um, yeah, so I'll just say hello and welcome to CAA Conversations, and then I'll say today we're with you all. Uh, read your bios and then hand it over. Is that good? Okay. Sounds great. Yeah. Okay, I'm really excited. Thanks. <laughs> um, Me too. Hello, and welcome to CAA Conversations. Today, I'm with Jan Worm and Terry Cohen, and their topic is very timely, making art through troubled times. Jan Worm is an artist, educator, and curator engaged in expanding the community forum for contemporary art dialogue. Terry Cohen is a writer, curator, art historian, and a fine art consultant. She has contributed to numerous publications, including Art Practical, Performa, Public Art Review, and Art in America. Her curatorial work has included exhibitions for museums and galleries in the Bay Area and beyond. Welcome. Thank you. We're very happy to be here. Absolutely. Okay, well, where I wanted to start in our conversation today is in sort of, since this is for the College Art Association, is talking about the fact that you and I have both been professors of art and have both taught uh, extensively throughout our careers. Um, how has teaching influenced your approach in thinking about your art? I think primarily teaching has changed my relationship to art through 
opening up a conversation so that when I started as a young artist and in the studio, my conversation really was a dialogue with art. And I really was so involved with my own responses to art that teaching opened up new perspectives. Mm -hmm. It really created a, a forum for a broader view that I then brought back into the studio as well. Mm -hmm. So it really opened me up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little more about how it opened you up? I think instead of always looking at uh, the outside and making judgments, I was more investigative mm -hmm. and open to multiple interpretation and understanding so that in many respects, the work became more ambiguous, but also less ambiguous at the same time because it was incorporating more real points, more touchstones. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, huh, that's interesting <laughs> to think about the work being more and less ambiguous. Can you refine that a little bit? I'm just interested. In yeah, I, I think that because I was working figuratively and I was responsive to all of the social elements around me that I was processing mm -hmm. as a young person and as a young artist, um, there was a great deal of abstraction mm -hmm. in the work. And mm -hmm. although there, things are still abstracted, it's the form that's abstracted and not the, the, the actual content or the message or what mm -hmm. I'm actually um, representing. Mm -hmm. So in part that comes from the added experiences of those I work with intimately in teaching mm -hmm. and also the fact that I've had, I think, perhaps naturally just more time over the years so that you don't have to say everything in one piece. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. It kind of brings me into this other question I have, um, which is, um, I would love it if you talk about the ways you use your art to bring people together. I know that creating community is a great contradiction to sort of the negative political messaging we receive. And so I'd be very interested for you to talk about that element of bringing people together through art. Yeah. I think even in the worst of times, we've seen that art remains really important to people. Um, I think about 9-11 and that after 9-11 happened, um, people were staying in New York, were staying in, they weren't going out, but when they first ventured out, they were going to the museums mm -hmm. and they were looking for that affirmation of culture mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. continuity, a sense of survival mm -hmm. that you have in work. So for me, um, taking that as validation for this position that I've always felt that um, putting art out there and communicating was one fraction of what art actually provides for people. Mm -hmm. That in fact, what you have to have is a forum for the discussion, the conversation, and to allow that work to, um, to really become a part of other lives. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in real terms, what I've done is I've organized lecture series for artists to come and talk about their work. Mm -hmm. I have worked um, to organize and moderate symposia for mm -hmm. the Cal Art Alumni Association. Mm -hmm. 
I have curated. And in curation, I have been really adamant in having continual public programming so that the artists have a chance to speak to those who come to see the work mm -hmm. and also that those who are um, involved with actually receiving that which art gives us mm -hmm. can also give back and, and have a, a, a way so that it's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I really appreciate what you're saying about using your sort of um, the breadth of your, your knowledge and career as an artist to bring people together. Can, you, can we bring it into your art? Um, and talk about actually the way in which um, you're a painter, you're a sculptor, you've done a lot of works on paper. I know drawing is very important to you. Can you talk some about how you actually um, express those things through your art and conceivably bring people together, but sort of mm -hmm. how do you do that um, using body language or gesture? I'm curious for you to talk about that. Well, in terms of the actual physicality of the work itself, um, I think that some of that, that, that impulse is reflected in um, the fact that I work in, in triptych very often or in multiple panels where work can appear together. It can actually take a, a different sequencing. Mm -hmm. It can have different meaning. I leave this open. My work has been shown by others who can then you know, remove the center of a triptych and put it somewhere else and take the left and right wings and put it together and absolutely change the dialogue. So in that sense, the work um, is open to other interpretation that people can live with it differently than I've intended, perhaps. And also in taking these images and making books out of them. So that's been really significant for me also, that putting the images together and um, presenting them, they then become a personal experience because the person who has a book is actually moving through time and thinking and, and, and processing imagery and the thoughts behind it in their own way. Mm -hmm. It was a different kind of control. So you're relinquishing control to the viewer. Okay, so you brought up some really important points here. I want to step back for a sec. You talked about really, you give your viewer agency yes. and in a sense create a collaboration with them, which seems a natural segue with sort of the kind of work you've done as a, as a certainly as a teacher, but also as a curator. Talk more about that idea of giving the viewer agency. It's unusual, particularly as a painter, I think, mm -hmm. to give your your sort of to give your audience, I guess, via the the curator um, or whoever is hanging your work, mm -hmm. um, the opportunity to create a narrative that is not necessarily fixed. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I I think that. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to make claims as to um, you know. There's art that's truly interactive, where um, you know the viewer can come in, it can move objects around in an installation, they can write, they can respond. So the work isn't doing that, but I do think that it can have multiple meanings, and mm -hmm. I do strive for the opportunity for that to arise, mm -hmm. for the work to remain somehow alive, in that it can have shifting meaning, particularly mm -hmm. over time. Um, 
it, it makes sense. Yeah. It's because you create, in a sense, it seems to me you're creating a dialogue with ultimately with your audience because they are not necessarily going to say, I want to see that painting again because it may be configured in a different way. So mm. it becomes um, yet another iteration, um, but may hold the same meaning. Yeah. I, I, I had um, a painting up on a wall for a while, and it was a painting that I'd done of a Girl Scout troop. Mm-hmm. What I found really interesting was that people would come and they go, oh, that's my sister. Oh, that's me. And they were identifying with these individual mm-hmm. little girls mm-hmm. where, of course, none of this was representative of any of the people who were coming mm-hmm. in and seeing this painting. But it opened for me the realization that so much of how people um, project and then connect with the work mm-hmm. is really um, so so vital to the work itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to keeping it um, from just going flat and dead. I think if we have images that are really, truly highly rendered and complete mm-hmm. and framed, mm-hmm. that we see an image and then we're done. Our brain mm-hmm. kind of figures, okay, I know it's there, and then they're off to something else. Mm-hmm. And in terms of teaching, that's really always been sort of the crux of what I've tried to explain to students and to in some way demonstrate is that finish is not necessarily anything more than finality for you who've made it, Mm -hmm. that it really doesn't um, allow a work to breathe Mm -hmm. and that um, there has to be some question there. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so many things that emerged in talking about this because it, because you are open rather creating an open idea rather than a closed one. Um, But what really comes up is the idea of control, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which is, um, also related to um, sort of the issues that you are dealing with in your painting. Mm-hmm. So can you talk more about control? Well, I, I, I think you're probably seeing this dichotomy, which is probably um, humorous, <laughs> that um, so much of my work is about power and power struggles, yes. and particularly men who are not willing to relinquish power, mm-hmm. who want to retain control, and not only retain control, but in that there's uh, a necessity, I think, to dominate, because that's mm-hmm. how you preserve your power. Mm-hmm. So um, on, on the one hand, there's the desire to show that, mm-hmm. which is about control and then to also allow it to be open. And I think in some ways that's why I like to use humor Mm -hmm. in in this kind of rendition because humor allows you to see two sides to things Mm -hmm. and to kind of step back both to take things in subjectively and also to be a little more objective and see the limitations of um, these kinds of structures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, humor, I I would agree with that. Humor is so important in in, in general, in life, but in a very serious time. Um, but it also brings forth in the way you work that there's a vulnerability that your your figures express um, that somehow um, seems important relative to what you're personally communicating through the work since you're creating it. Mm-hmm. And um, it sort of um, is, a, again, creates a dichotomy with those issues of power and control. Yeah. Well, certainly um, in in the images that I'm building, um, 
women and children and animals are all incredibly vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And they are very often the point of entry for the viewer mm -hmm. because the animal will have contact, eye contact with mm -hmm. the viewer, whereas all the other figures may be totally absorbed mm -hmm. or hiding. You know, the women can be downcast with their, mm -hmm. with their gaze mm -hmm. um, and, and huddled, self-protective. So mm -hmm. body language is really important for all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, all people are incredibly vulnerable mm -hmm. and the need for armor and protection mm -hmm. is common to us all, I right. think. Um, and, and how to represent that and make it um, safe to show vulnerability, to express it, to talk about it, and at the same way, at the same time, feel protected enough to be open. Um, those are critical questions, particularly, you know, as we're talking about um, these times we're living in where uh, people are um, economically challenged and mm -hmm. socially challenged and politically challenged mm -hmm. in the system that we're experiencing right now. Absolutely. Um, the, you, you sort of highlighted animals um, yeah. in, in this conversation and, and brought up the idea of eye contact. Mm -hmm. um, it, it always makes I mean, it's, just curious, when I think about eye contact in painting, I always think about Leonardo da Vinci and the Mona Lisa and how people are so, I mean, across across the globe mm -hmm. have over the centuries been so fixated on this fact that the eyes purportedly follow you, et cetera. So I, that, you know, making eye contact as a viewer with, with, you know, a figure in a painting is so significant. Can you talk more about what, what the animals represent? Are they an archetype or... Um, I'm just curious. Um, well, they are—they're um, usually the object of something being done to them, or something that's been done to them, and usually point to uh, um, the follies of man. I think. Mm -hmm. So on the, you know, in some cases, the animals are long dead. They've been stuffed and they're being worn. It could mm -hmm. be a fox fur. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's an animal on a carousel. Mm -hmm. And um, they're in, trapped and they're a symbol of what we've done with, with zoos for, uh, you know, 100 years. The mm -hmm. idea of collecting animals. Um, sometimes they are in zoos themselves and, and they're behind bars. Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes they're being caught for sport, mm -hmm. also being stuffed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, so there's a number of things that are just pointing to uh, these aspects within human nature mm -hmm. that have to, uh, you know, control, dominate, and really exploit animals. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but it it sounds like they also may serve um, sort of symbolically. Uh, stand-ins for humans? Uh, Stand-in for the artist. <laughs> Stand-in for humans. Stand-in ah, for women. Stand-in right. for children. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. do. So we have this hierarchy. And, um, I mean, if I have two men together, that same um, dynamic is there of power and domination. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's a whole chain. Mm -hmm. From one male to another, or that male to a female, that female to, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, on down. Mm -hmm. you know, right. To the child. When we started, 
you you talked some about abstraction. How did you how did you sort of move in your career towards working in this figurative way that is also um, highly it's really highly allegorical. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, really simply, I probably grew up thinking that art had to communicate something. Mm-hmm. And certainly what I was looking at was um, allegorical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a love for mythology as a child. Mm-hmm. So I had this, you know, dreamy relationship to Greece from the time I was probably 11, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, fairy tales. I always saw how relevant fairy tales were in terms of cautionary tales for mm-hmm. young women in particular, mm-hmm. for children. Mm-hmm. I think uh, concerns, you know, from the time you're very young of um, being orphaned, being left behind, all of those things are really powerful mm-hmm. from the very beginning. And certainly, um, I saw myself when I was working as being in a tradition. I mean, we take on a whole family heritage and a lineage based on the artists that we love and we mm-hmm. look at and, mm-hmm. and we want to be in communication with mm-hmm. and want to be in dialogue with them. As an art historian, I would totally agree with that. <laughs> and it, it brings me to a question I was hoping to have time to ask you. Which is, um, I think it is important, um, I'd like you to talk about um, sort of your background. I know you lived in Europe mm-hmm. um, when you were young and went, have been back to Europe a number of times to work um, in, in Vienna. You've been to Italy to, as an artist to, mm-hmm. to do um, work, um, you know, as an artist and I think it would be valuable to hear you talk about what you gleaned, especially from those early experiences in your own life. Yeah. Well, for for me, certainly at the age of eight, art was a refuge. Mm-hmm. I was um, put in a classroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was eight years old. I was put into a classroom, and I didn't speak the language. Um, I was very different from all the other kids. Mm-hmm. And for the following years, when I was eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, I didn't have any friends. Mm-hmm. So if you, no matter how much homework is piled on you as a kid, and there was a lot of homework, yeah. um, a lot of work in, in those days, um, you still have time. And so what I did was I drew. Mm-hmm. I spent all that time drawing. And mm-hmm. that's... Um, what gave me pleasure and it was fulfilling. I was also in a rather dreary little town. Um, Is this in Austria? This was in Austria up in the Alps. It was Innsbruck and it was very, very small. And um, so I had a box of watercolors that I'd brought with me that my aunt had given me as a parting gift. So I had all these colors and my mother had a box of gorgeous um uh, pastel pencils and pastels that I just, when I was allowed to use them, just thrilled me because of all the colors. So that's what I did every day. And mm-hmm. that's um, what I um, found refuge in. And 
I, I guess that became my voice because mm -hmm. I didn't have any other form of expression really or communication. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one thing that we did do um, as a family is we traveled a lot, went to a lot of museums and I was always allowed to pick a postcard after visiting a museum. So I had quite a collection of art postcards. And that's how it all started, you know, mm -hmm. the making of the art, the collecting of the art. Sure. Yeah. That, that's a really interesting um, piece of your background that I never knew. Um, did that kind of segue eventually into you creating artist books? And you created dozens of artist books. Yeah. Um, well, I liked making books folding paper from the very beginning, uh -huh. I think. Um, I loved reading. There was a small library there, a British library. It was in an apartment, mm -hmm. and I loved going there. And uh, so, you know, I read Shakespeare all the time. <laughs> there was a lot to keep you so, busy there. <laughs> wait, did somebody live in the apartment? No, it was it was it was the British Library. It would, but but physically, it was like an apartment. Wow! So you would go there and just you could just pick a book and sit and read. Yes. 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 That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know the the early experiences of seeing um, the decorative element everywhere in Europe, I think, was very different than here. Mm -hmm. That buildings had paintings on the sides of them, and I don't mean like our contemporary murals, but they they had decorative painting everywhere, and mm -hmm. they had um, flowers and knights and all kinds of symbols in the 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 calligraphy. Mm -hmm. um, so, and also in school, we, we had writing. I mean, we had our notebooks and we were writing both um, with with pens for calligraphy and also the old German Fraktur, the old kind of writing. Mm -hmm. and we read in both mm -hmm. um, contemporary Roman letters that we have now mm -hmm. and um, in the old German letters. And mm -hmm. we did old German handwriting. We did all of that. Uh -huh. so, uh -huh. so it was very tactile. It sounds like it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you were drawing all the time mm -hmm. seems like it. Did that influence you, the ways in which you were working with this very oh, I loved, precise ways of, of writing? Yeah, oh, I loved pens. I loved the mark. It, was, it made you very aware of thick and thin lines and all of that very early, you know, angles and mm -hmm. how things match up. It also taught me a lot about geometry. Not that we weren't doing geometry, but you see um, how... Um, I, I could have become a typographer, I think. You know, you see how things are read and mm -hmm. what the mind is sort of filling in all the time. How interesting. So so then pulling back up to the sort of towards your present, the present time, um, does that, it somehow seems like it relates to these issues of perhaps power and control? Um, sort of, I don't know, the way in which you're, your notating yeah. um, was was influenced by um, being compelled to write in a particular way in a different language as a young person. I suppose, and I also think that it was probably the beginning of conflict in my life because there was this inner conflict against it because after all, I'd come from California mm -hmm. and um, it had had a lot of freedom. I mean, in the sense that I hadn't seen limitations yet. Mm -hmm. This was the first time that I experienced limitations. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, then returning, you know, in junior high school, 
suddenly I think I... So you went back to Europe. Then I, from Europe, I went back to California in junior okay. high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, it is very much like anyone who um, has lived in different places that you both feel at home anywhere in the world and you're never at home. Mm-hmm. So you have that disruption. And I think that happens, I mean, visual language, there are disruptions there as well. I think I have, you know, more than one language in which I'm working. There's a certain language in painting and there's another one in drawing and there's another one in monotypes and there's another Mm -hmm. one in the sculpture. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that when you switch from one material to another, it allows a different voice to come through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So would you say that that was conceivably um, encouraged through at a very young age, living in a situation where you were compelled to, um, to operate in more than one language? I think that all young people are very resilient. And I think that they find that there is um, there's a, a real benefit. I think you find this with, um, with children when they've immigrated, that they have a language and their parents don't have it. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting and odd and complex relationship that then mm-hmm. happens for the parent as well as the Mm -hmm. child, the parent who's been um, really um, the provider and the source of wisdom and understanding and the protector. Mm -hmm. And then language, when it closes down, but it opens up for the younger generation, it's a very interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. And then the recognition that you can learn other systems really soon. And I I think that's a wonderful thing about when you're teaching because you have students come in with from very different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And suddenly instead of them perhaps being challenged outside in the world when they're in the studio and they can work, they see this great advantage to the different perspectives that they're bringing in. And I think mm-hmm. they all stimulate each other as well. I think mm-hmm. the classroom is a really stimulating place for any artist. Mm-hmm. It's probably no accident that you became a teacher (laughs) or a curator for that matter, you know, because in a sense, um, the gallery, um, you know, museum, the gallery is a classroom in in its own way. It is. And I think that's one of the most thrilling things. I think very often artists um, tend to exhibit with many of the same artists, you know, in in different venues and different over time. And then I think to have an exhibition that you've put together with some really great artists and to have one of them come up, I want to meet so-and-so. I've loved his work for so long. Please Mm -hmm. introduce us. You know, you're bringing these artists together and they're forming new relationships. It's really exciting too. It's really thrilling. It's kind of cool because in, in sort of walking through your young life, it brings us back to the present, you know, that, that creating community is, um, and, and um, collaboration um, seems so central to how you, you um, sort of see yourself and do your work. You know, I think, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right that these very early um, experiences are processed and we don't always see how they're going to affect us later in life. Mm -hmm. And I would say one thing that my father actually went, when we went back to Europe, he went back for studies. He was a student and there was a small group of about a dozen foreign students. And so because my father was older, had children, was married, Mm -hmm. our kitchen table became the center for all of these foreign students. Right there, 
you know, all it took was a little bit of, um, you know, hot water to drink and, <laughs> yep. and a, a cigarette to share mm-hmm. and you have a whole community. Mm-hmm. So I became very aware at a very young age of how um, individuals who could be outcast, mm-hmm. directly ostracized, certainly didn't fit in, mm-hmm. could find their own um their own community, make their own little world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a motif mm-hmm. also in my work, mm-hmm. as well as in my life, is this um, looking at people who are marginalized, mm-hmm. who are um, forming these subgroups, these little social subgroups mm-hmm. for mutual support and for identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just as you were talking, I was thinking about how isolation, um, even within groups in your in your work, mm-hmm. um, there's very often this sense of um, figures being isolated from one another. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that seems like it's again part of the, there's I think a healthy tension in your work, healthy in the sense that um, as as a viewer, you you are trying to parse the relationships and, and the ambiguity um, that emerges in that sense of isolation is, is compelling. Right. Yeah. I, I think even when two people face each other mm-hmm. and they're talking about the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, so much that um, is misunderstood, so much that it does not even get communicated, there's, mm-hmm. you know, um, can be difficult. And then when you have two people who are coming at something from two different perspectives with mm-hmm. different ideas and, um, you know, who hold prejudice, um, then it becomes even more difficult. And certainly um, when objective goals aren't shared, mm-hmm. um, that's really leads to conflict. But um, the isolation that people experience, particularly mm-hmm. in our society, mm-hmm. is really, um, I think, heart-wrenching sometimes. Yes, I would absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the compelling um, series you did mm-hmm. um, that I wanted to chat about was um, was this the carnival paintings. Yeah, because carnivals have. Oh, I mean, the carnival has always seemed like it's supposed to be fun. Yeah, but it's also kind of scary. Definitely, and, um, and there's a t- definitely a tension in those pieces that I, I think, think is significant to talk about, like a sense of them being sinister. Yeah. Well, um, to, to again, again, part of my fascination is that um, the carnival, which promises the exotic, um, in fact, is this attempt, uh, and it's the product of, people who are not fitting into the um, stable, anchored life, who are really at loose ends, have come together and formed a kind of surrogate family, that they um, are a world unto themselves, Mm -hmm. that we think that by buying a ticket, we have entry and understanding and we can consume this in Mm -hmm. some ways, but in fact, we don't penetrate a, a kind of protective armor. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a small carnival that um, pulls up every year in front of what had been my parents' apartment and now um, is 
in the general family. And they would come, and the first thing they would do was they would have um, they would have men come and set up chain link fence down the whole street, right down the middle of the blacktop. And this then, is in a residential area. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know they had they you know this was a big thing in this small little town, and um, and then they would all come and they would start setting up all their little booths and mm -hmm. events and their three rides mm -hmm. and bring in their bales of hay. But what they did was they worked really late at night. Mm -hmm. They had their music blaring. And I would watch with fascination through, I mean, I could watch, look out my window, out the front window, and wow. I would watch them and I would see them and um, sort of marvel at the language, these, you know, the, the stuff going on, the men, the, the women, the whole exchange. And you knew that the next day when it was open and the public came, that all of that was hidden. Mm -hmm. um, that was all private mm -hmm. and that what was being presented was all an act in the show. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that really fascinated me for a long time, for many years. I bet. It. And it, it, it's kind of interesting. You became an artist and, you know, sort of thinking about what's our experience when we walk into a gallery? It's all there, all perfect on the mm -hmm. walls, on the, on the pedestals. Um, sort of, but what went on behind the scenes? Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, exactly. It's, sort of, it's kind of curious. Not that, not that, you know, that, you know, dark things go on in the gallery, but it's sort of a curious analogy. No, it's, I, I, I remember the very first time I was sort of in the bowels of a museum, you know, and everything's in crates and, and everything, you know, and there are all these people working and they're all working. They're all doing all of these jobs mm -hmm. that um, aren't seen and they have their, um, their own relationships to each other and to the work. Mm -hmm. um, no, it's. I mean, it's. It's like going to the theater and making sure that you're in as soon as the door opens, mm -hmm. so you can watch the whole audience build. You can watch everyone come. You can mm -hmm. see what's all going on, mm -hmm. or, or being backstage. Yeah, pretty amazing. Absolutely. It, again, tension. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, one of the things that we had talked about before doing this this conversation is. Um, I guess a couple of things. One is about um, sort of the your relationship to um, to power and and men. And as you're talking about the carnival, it's making me think about that. There's certainly or female performers, but carnivals seem like they're mostly organized and run by men. Yeah, they are organized and, and run by men mm -hmm. um, for the most part. And they were like owned by men and run by men. And there's a lot of physical labor. Mm -hmm. But there are women who are used and they're mm -hmm. used um, as an attraction. Mm -hmm. I mean, someone's going to put more money down each time, mm -hmm. you know, even if it's a sucker um, event. Mm -hmm. If there's a woman there that he's going to like mm -hmm. show off to or impress, mm -hmm. um, and, and the origins um, of the huchiku and the dancers and the promise of something truly exotic, something illicit, something mm -hmm. like like the beginnings of prior to like urban peep shows, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's all there. So women were definitely used mm -hmm. um, in a very limited way. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah, I think that that emerges in, in um, a certain faction of your art. You know, that, you know, sort of the ways in which women become objectified. Yeah. 
Certainly the image of the woman, at, you know, selling the tickets, but encaged in, you know, behind glass. Mm. And I've, I've used it for the carnival, for ticket sales. You think about the movie theaters mm. and the women who always sold tickets for the theater in those little glass boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of women in cages for a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of relates to this, um, the to a kind of violence that um, has that has always been an undercurrent. Um, I mean, it's not always an undercurrent, but it's always an undercurrent in in society, um, in cultural milieus. Well, that violence, um, we like it better when it's like underground and an undercurrent than when we see right. it exploding as it does, and when it's yeah. channeled into other things. Mm-hmm. And I think that. Um, I think for one thing, sports has been a great way of channeling a lot of that energy. Um, certainly the, the sports for men that take up um, a lot of aggression. I think of you know boxing. I don't think that's a sport that women would have thought up. Mm-hmm. I, I know there are women who are boxing now, but um, just historically over the long period, mm-hmm. the, that, that boxing and um, I mean, ice hockey, you know, see those sticks flying and the battering and the, the bruising. Yes. It's, you know, incredibly mm-hmm. um, aggressive. There's a lot of violence mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And um, like I see it as really a kind of controlled uh, warfare, mm-hmm. very, very close to warfare, mm-hmm. which, you know, is like why after all of this time do countries not manage to... Um, settle differences and work things out without the kind of aggressive stances and, and militaristic interventions and resolution. I mean, that that is a solution is is so non-solution. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And at the same time, um, so it, it, it seems that, um, I guess, it segues into the question of um, how... How are you using, or are you using your work uh, in this political time? Yeah, I, I think the fact that um, these these difficult times have been cyclical, and that um, it's oh another war, a brink of, on the brink of another war, the aggression, the the harm being done to people. So it has taken the form both of direct artwork that I've done. Mm-hmm as well as um, curatorial work. So right now I'm curating an exhibition and the working title is Our Thoughts and Prayers Are With You. And it's on gun violence. And um, I think it's important, not just for me and my own um, finding something to do, but for all the artists involved, they're very happy at this point in time to be able to do this. We're all looking for something and we're looking to um, not only be able to express our our fears, our frustrations, our concerns about these things, but hoping that um, that there'll be some cumulative impact of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really hard, you know. There mm-hmm. are, there were artists who have said for a hundred years that um, art doesn't change things, but um, I, I think 
think if you believe people can change things, mm-hmm. you have to believe people can change things, then art can have some impact also because mm-hmm. we do affect mm-hmm. people with art. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, art is not necessarily intended to be like a direct action, but rather to help people um, feel and think and see things in a way that we wouldn't otherwise, or they wouldn't otherwise. Um, but I want to let you have the last word, which brings me to what, what, if anything, have I not asked you that you'd <laughs> like to talk about? Well, I think that probably um, whoever is listening out there has probably um, reached the point where they want to go and get a cup of coffee or something. So we've probably um, covered all that we can for right now, mm-hmm. but so I hope we'll meet again stop. soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Jan. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Karen. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Great. It was awesome. How do you all feel about that? Well, I'd love to hear it. I feel good. I, I really, really want Jan to have the last word, and I felt like I did. So okay. I'd like to see if we can. Oh. No, it's really, in interviews, that's really important. Okay, sure. Okay. Yeah, I can cut it off before you maybe even ask her for her last word, if that's okay. Would that be a good idea? If she was uh, Just had an interruption. Um, oh, sorry, I lost you for a little bit. You're back now. Sorry. Maybe. So, the, what about just ending with um, the exhibition and hoping that that things change? Yeah. yeah. That would just cut it there. Yeah, that that's sounds fine. great. That'll be good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it was really engaging. It was really exciting for me to to listen through that too. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, that's great. Good. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll just cut it. Um, and really, I didn't hear anything like there was no glitching or y'all didn't cut out at all. And there were no weird, like awkward we things doing- that happened. Mm-hmm. What's that? We were we weren't umming, humming no, and umming. Actually, I felt it was really nice. Like it felt really genuine and honest. And uh, But I will uh, edit it and then send it to you all so you can listen to it and then see if there's Uh-oh. any kind of changes you want before. Okay. Thank you. Oh, Thank, okay. You. Yeah. Thank you so much, Karen. This was fun, actually. Oh, you all. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited. I think it's a good, um, like it's a good project. And uh, I think it's reaching a lot of folks. So it's really good. Good. Great. Good. Yeah. Were, were there? Can I ask you? Are there particular parts of it that you think will be particularly relevant for people? I'm just interested. Yeah, I really think talking about um, well, the curation I think is important, but also like you know your major theme about um, I, I really because I've been going to the state fair this week. It's been fun for me to think about um, carnival and that kind of idea and like privilege and things too. Um, but yeah, I think mostly like that idea of like making work and continuing to make work. Like when things are bad, I like where you're talking about things being cyclical and like, that's really nice. So thanks for the feedback, Karen. Oh, sure. Thank you all for being so prepared. It's great. I talked over you. What did you say? I'm sorry. No, no, it was a pleasure working with you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you all too. This is really great. Um, yeah, so I'll work this week to just cut it and then send it to you all and you can listen to it. And if you want anything else changed, then um, I can do that. And if not, then we'll send it on. So you'll have a you'll have the last word on it. That's Fantastic. wonderful. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Yeah, have a great day. It was good to talk with you all. Okay, you, you too. too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.